1: Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 358 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Zach is talking with Kat Moon about the trends and solutions that have come out of the COVID pandemic as it relates to innovative design in the legal field.
2: Today's podcast is brought to you by Expander, Rankings.io, and Latera. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned because we're going to tell you more about them later on.
1: So last week, you and I had a little bit of a chat around annual planning and the importance of having a coach to support you in thinking through getting your annual plans together. And a couple of months ago in episode 348, my good friend Kelly Street and you talked about quarterly retreats for law firms. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk a little, dig a little bit more into um, how we can help your law firm with its quarterly retreats.
2: Yeah, I love I love the new year because it feels like like when I was in school, I always liked the start of the school year because it felt like a fresh start and now January 1 feels like that for businesses. And so now is a great time to really take stock in what you've accomplished in 2021 and what you want to do next year. And I think you could totally do that on your own, but sometimes it's hard to do, By yourself. Like, I think this is where having a facilitator, having someone help you through that process can be really valuable.
1: Yeah. And our goal is to make sure that not just you as the law firm owner, but that your whole team is aligned on what the priorities for the coming year and this next quarter, the first quarter of 2022 what those priorities need to be for you to achieve the goals you have for your firm, whether that's new marketing campaigns or people you need to hire or processes you need to document or refining the way you deliver your services to make sure that your whole team is aligned on what are the handful of things we need to most focus on for the first 90 days of the year to make sure we're on track for the rest of the year. And there are plenty of exercises, some of which you and Kelly discussed in episode 348 for how to run a good quarterly retreat. But we think one of the best ways to do that is to make sure that you've got good facilitation from a professional who knows how to do this to make sure that you stay on track, that you are all communicating openly and that you're getting the outcomes of that effort that you need.
2: Absolutely. I mean, This is one of my favorite things to do. I love doing this work with lawyers and with businesses. And so we are now being really explicit about adding this in as part of our Lawyerist Lab coaching program. So everyone who's in lab is going to be able to join us each quarter four times a year for a virtual strategy intensive. And this will be a real opportunity for the leader of the firm and for other members of the leadership team are key people who are making decisions to come together online in a facilitated room with us and have us help you facilitate this process so that you're coming out of it really clear on your priorities for next year. You're going to have your projects scoped out with accountability and deadlines and KPIs that you need to measure to see how you're if you're on track and succeeding throughout the quarter. So I'm really excited to announce that this is going to be a new feature in our
1: lab program. And since lots of organizational planning retreats actually take the form of a retreat where you go somewhere nice to get away and have some clear headspace, we've even talked to some labsters who are planning to go somewhere interesting in order to join our virtual strategy intensive so that they can and their team can be in that retreat headspace, even though this program will be virtual online. And I think that is the best attitude to take of we're still treating this as a serious retreat. We're just going to have lawyers facilitate it for us on the internet.
2: Yeah. So the first one's going to be actually at the end of this month on December 30th. And so anyone who's interested in joining, you know, would encourage you to go to our site to lawyers.com slash lab now and apply to be part of lab. And when we're on that call and talking about if lab's a good fit for you, we can Talk about this intensive more and how you can join us on December 30th. And so now we have Zach's conversation with Kat.
3: Hey, I am Kat Moon. I am a lawyer and I teach and do some other stuff at Vanderbilt Law School. My official titles are Director of Innovation Design. I'm a lecturer in law. I'm also part of the faculty for the Department of Radiology at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, interestingly enough. And let's see, what else do I do? Oh, I also direct our executive education program at the law school.
4: Okay. Got your kind of plate full over there. You're also one one of the directors of uh, the Poly Institute. Am I saying that right?
3: Yeah. So that is is our executive education platform. And we actually are undergoing some rebranding. So look out in early 2022 for a new spin, a new take on executive education for- Practicing legal professionals.
4: Well, great. And then you also participate in the Delta Model Lawyer. Is it research, or I consider it research, right?
3: Yes, it is. Yeah, we've done independent research. And my colleague, Allison Carroll, who is a law professor at Northwestern, she and I are continuing the research. We're actually currently writing a book called The Delta Model, a Field Guide. And we are creating tools around the Delta model. They are human-centered design tools designed to empower people to take agency and control over their professional formation as lawyers, also some tools for organizations and law schools and law firms. And as part of that, yes, we are conducting research. We have a number of ongoing case studies right now that will be shared in the book, Forthcoming.
4: Okay. Well, I, d- I look forward to that because I'd, I'm you know, looking at the website and there's a ton of information there, but for people that haven't kind of gone and, and checked that out and aren't quite introduced to it. So the Delta model is this idea that there's, and you'll explain it better than I will, but there's this idea that there's kind of three aspects of being a good lawyer or law firm or, or legal practitioner. And, and one side is the practice, another side is the people, and another side is the process. So all of these things kind of fit together to make a more robust and well adjusted attorney. Am I kind of even almost hitting that right?
3: Yes, yes. So, at the Delta model, the goal is to provide a holistic representation of what competencies are required to thrive as a lawyer in the 21st mm-hmm. century. And the model itself is not static, it's agile. So, the particular set of competencies that fall across those three sides depend entirely on the role, your role in the legal profession, your particular organization. That set of skills might look slightly different in one firm than another, for instance, when it comes to a certain level of associate or partner, depending on that firm's cultures and their goals. So, the primary goal is to reflect visually transparently and holistically what the competencies are and to align them in a way that does not give preference to any one set of skills. For instance, Mm -hmm. lawyers often think, and all of our CLE is geared towards this, for example, that we've got to focus entirely on building our lawyering skills, which are those skills that fall yeah. on the practice side, the base of the delta. Right. Right. Ninety-nine point nine percent of continuing legal education courses are relevant to your your quote lawyering, think like a lawyer skills, doctrinal mm-hmm. skills in specific subject areas. One point of the delta is to reflect that in the middle of the twenty first century, your people skills and your process skills and process encompasses. Technology, business understanding, human centered design, process design, implementation and improvement, all of that kind of stuff. Those things have equal importance and weight at this point in the evolution of the legal profession. What that particular mix is, again, depends entirely on your role. Mm-hmm. So The skills that a second year associate might need to have and be working towards will look different than, for example, someone who works in legal operations in an in-house legal department. Mm -hmm. Those will be two different Delta models, for example. But the beauty of the model is that it gives a very transparent way to align and reflect those competencies so people truly understand what is it I need to know And when we use the word competency very specifically, because competency encompasses both skill and knowledge, right? So Mm, it's a combination mm -hmm. of those two things. So it's not entirely skills. There is, you know, your knowledge base that underlies that. So yeah, holistic. We like the word holistic.
4: I like that. And it really does kind of, just by looking at it, you know, it opens your eyes as a practicing attorney to say, okay, there is more than just... Do I know the Tennessee code specifically? Do I know yep. exactly what I'm supposed to do? And I think a lot of us getting out of law school, we we recognize that there's a people side to it. And I almost equate that with bedside manner. You know, you're going to have to deal with opposing counsel. You know, you're going to have to deal with judges and certainly going to have to deal with clients and how how you do that. But I think one of the places that we don't recognize, and I know- you do a lot of this in your teaching is that process area that delivery of of services i would think of it as the building of it as opposed to the law of it and again i may be saying that completely inappropriately <laughs> but but i i think of that like that process side is something i didn't see really when i came out of law school and started practicing in my father's firm uh, at the time and that was a place that became very fascinating to me was building the systems, building the machine, building the way that we do this. And that's the place where, again, to me, we we get human centered. We bring in, what are we doing this for? Why are we even practicing? We have clients. What's the ultimate goal of helping these clients?
3: Exactly. Unfortunately, I'm going to jump back to your example of medical school for a second because Oh, yeah. Medical school actually has a component that requires all students to focus on what you refer to as bedside manner on the people's side. Mm -hmm. Now, whether that is fully adequate or not to achieve the goal, we've all had experiences with
4: doctors where
3: we wondered, is this person, (laughs) has this person had any bedside manner training?
4: (laughs) Have you ever met another human being?
3: Yes, it is a required component, whereas in law school, I mean, you can go through all three years, right? And hopefully you have a clinic opportunity or some other kind of experiential opportunity in school. I'm not referring to summer jobs, but in Mm -hmm. school that exposes you to the people side skills, right? But it's entirely possible to get through law school without that. Mm -hmm. And it's entirely possible and actually quite likely that most of your doctrinal professors don't touch on that at all. And so in many ways, it's completely disconnected from the formal legal education process in a very unfortunate way that has its roots, you know, more than hundred years ago, like most of our problems, but it's, it's what we do. And it's what most of us continue to do. I think that bringing a human-centered design approach, which I do, and, and my work does focus primarily on the delivery of legal services. So mm-hmm. not, not the actual work of, practicing law. I don't teach students how to write memos. That would be truly terrible if I had to do that, (laughs) even though I did like the only class in law school that I booked was legal writing and lawyering. However, (laughs) (laughs) I would not want to teach that. Now, instead, my focus is on how do we actually serve clients? What is the Mm -hmm. process? What is the method? How do we do our work? And how do we do our work in a human-centered way? And by human-centered, you notice I don't use the words client centered and
4: mm-hmm. that's very intentional right
3: absolutely we are ethically obligated to keep our clients at the center of our work however if we look at the current state of the legal profession which is rife with more and more data coming out daily with fairly severe issues related to mental health and wellness our rates mm-hmm. of depression anxiety suicidal thinking all of those things substance abuse are far many times greater than the general population. Currently, statistics reflected in research surveys, especially during a pandemic, show those numbers rising, right? Um, We suffer from burnout at a much higher rate. All of these negative things. So I'm a big proponent. In fact, I'm fairly adamant that as we consider how we create human-centered delivery, legal services, we also have to put at the center, the people doing the work. Yes. And we, we have to make choices in how we work that set us up to succeed and not continue to really fail at being healthy people, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So the human centered part really is centered on all stakeholders, right? And the people doing the work, we are a significant stakeholder, we absolutely cannot choose to work in a way that sets us up for personal failure, even if we are succeeding on behalf of our clients. So just had to make that little plug about what human-centered means. <laughs> no, I,
4: I think that's a, I, I think that's a very important kind of uh, distinction because we can operate client-centered and you can be client-centered in a way where you answer emails immediately. You're, you're always on. Yes. and this isn't healthy for you as the lawyer but more importantly that creates a system a culture in your practice where your assistants the other lawyers in your in your firm at least feel like they have to operate that way and so yep. your lack of human centered kind of health or personal health is affecting the, the other people in your office and that is not good no. to say the least and it's it's not a very good way to manage Definitely. But I I think human centered is obviously very specific and a a, um, very good distinction as well. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Minimize effort, maximize productivity with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. Drive faster results in three steps one, create. Make snippets of text for support responses, sales outreach, or even common emails to save them in Text Expander. Two, trigger. Just type a few characters and watch the snippet automatically expand your text. You can add fill-in-the-blank or more complex functionality to customize your message. Three, share. Share snippets across your organization. Your team can customize and insert the text in any app on Mac, Windows, Chrome, or iOS with a few keystrokes. Are you a startup looking to scale? Text Expander is here to help you on your journey. Check out Text Expander for Startups, a program that's specifically designed to help startup teams communicate more consistently, accurately, and efficiently. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit Textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Support for today's episode comes from rankings.io. Helping hyper-competitive personal injury attorneys dominate first-page rankings through search engine optimization to become better recognized as the leading law firm in your metro. Rankings is solely focused on SEO for personal injury law firms. You'll work with an entire team of SEO specialists dedicated to helping clients dominate search results with unparalleled industry expertise. Rankings focuses on proof, not promises, by delivering results and never leaving their clients in the dark. You will receive monthly reports that give a full snapshot of where you stand as you watch your firm climb to the first page of Google and generate high-value leads. Most importantly, you'll be one of an elite few. Rankings' unrelenting conviction to be the best drives them to do everything to ensure the personal injury law firms working with them are dominating the search results. To see if you're a fit, visit rankings.io forward slash lawyerist to get started. Today's podcast is brought to you by Latera. Delivering high quality work on time and on budget is what matters most to your clients. Latera helps law firms maximize client retention rates, increase profit margins, and enhance lawyer happiness. In short, they simplify complex workflows by connecting legal teams to the data they need every day. The result? End user happiness. Most of the world's largest law firms, boutique firms, and corporate legal departments trust Latera to help their legal teams manage all of their documents, deals, cases, and data. Are you ready to join them? Latera is excited to hear about the challenges facing your organization, show you their software in action, or simply discuss whatever else might be top of mind. Get a demo with their document experts today by visiting latera.com forward slash lawyerist. One of the things I I kind of want to talk about a little bit, and this has been going through my head lately and as as I've been seeing things you're doing on Twitter, which is a at inspired cat. This idea of a holistic lawyer or holistically providing services to your client. And I see, and at least kind of read some tea leaves in what you're doing, that you're teaching these concepts to your students as they're coming out of law school. And I start to think that's going to change law. That type of thing, kind of from the bottom, is going to change how we practice law in the future, even seasoned attorneys that are set in their ways?
3: I hope so. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> let me say that I do endeavor one of my primary objectives, one of my primary missions with students is to give them the core set of human centered mindsets so that they enter the practice, believing that they have what are essentially superpowers, right? And mm-hmm. when you talk about a holistic practice, I think that touches on a number of those. I'll reference one specifically, and that's the notion of collaboration, which I refer to as radical collaboration, especially in the law. And I use the word radical for a whole host of reasons. But first and foremost, collaboration is considered kind of radical in the law because we are trained starting in law school to be very independent and competitive in the way we work. hmm. We are rewarded in law school primarily for what we can produce independently. And we are judged very harshly based on uh, on our performance compared to those around us. Right. Mm -hmm. Very little about that system encourages or facilitates meaningful collaboration with our classmates and our colleagues. And so I start there to give my students meaningful experiences at collaboration. We talk about what good collaboration looks like. We talk about the mindsets that collaboration requires and how you do it well, how you show up as part of a team to do good work with other humans. Mm -hmm. And then I give them opportunities to practice that. And the goal being they enter the profession believing that this is part of how you work. This is how we do our best work, right? Mm -hmm. The other radical part of it, so it's radical just in general in the law. And I know a lot of people, a lot of lawyers will say, well, I'm part of a practice group or I collaborate with people all the time. I will just say this. I've observed a lot of things in law schools, both as a student and as a professor now in my, think, fifth year. I've observed a lot of work in law firms, both in almost 20 years of practice and doing a lot of research in my work, observing other people in their work. Very few, if any, law firms operate in a true teamwork method, Mm -hmm. right? We can look at examples in other industries, other professions that truly operate as functional teams. This is not how legal work is organized. It simply isn't. Mm -hmm. Some people may collaborate here and there, but this is not how we organize our work. So it's radical in that way. The other way it's radical, from a human centered design perspective is this research shows that when you bring a group of people who are cognitively diverse together to solve a problem, they get to better solutions more quickly. Mm -hmm. And by cognitive diversity, I mean people who are trained and have experience solving problems in different ways. So for example, if you bring a group of lawyers together to solve a problem, well, this is not a cognitively diverse group of people. They Mm -hmm. may bring diverse experiences to the table. Yes, that can be valuable. However, every single one of them was trained to solve problems in exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. And again, what other industries are showing in their research, because they do collaborate meaningfully across disciplines, is that when you bring professionals who were trained to problem solve together differently, then you get better answers. You get them more quickly. What this means for law when it comes to radical collaboration is that we have to be much more creative and holistic in our approach to creating teams of different kinds of professionals who can help our clients solve their problems. Mm -hmm. And this requires us to recognize that not all problems require, in fact, most demand both legal solutions and other kinds of solutions, right? There, are, I can think off the top of my head, many different practice areas, especially in the areas of people law that require a really kind of robust, to borrow your word from earlier, set of problem solvers to address issues on many different levels, often far beyond simply the quote legal problem involved. So there's that, but this has a direct correlation in big corporate law as well. Corporate, especially at higher levels, The problems that companies have, especially in this, the middle of the fourth industrial revolution are becoming much more complicated, much more sophisticated. They are global in nature Mm -hmm. and to solve these problems, law firms are having to engage with different kinds of professionals to get the expertise that they need, right? Data scientists, that is a great example. You're seeing firms hire chief data officers, Mm -hmm. right? That's not something you would have heard of probably even five years ago. Now, it'll be interesting to see if they're still around in five years because also firms have a tradition of hiring and then suddenly that person disappears, but we'll see. But my point being that the nature of the problems that our clients face across the spectrum of the legal profession are fairly universally such that Lawyers need to collaborate with other kinds of professionals in order to provide the best solutions. Mm -hmm. And I do not observe in my 20 years of practice and my many years of teaching that we do a good job of preparing lawyers to be part of multidisciplinary collaborative teams. We don't enter the practice with the mindset that that's how we do our best work. Often we enter the The practice with the mindset, I'm a lawyer. We're the only people in the world who can solve legal people's legal problems.
1: Mm -hmm. And
3: therefore, I'm the smartest person in the room when it comes to this. And Mm -hmm. I don't need anyone's help. I'm a lawyer. Everybody else is not a lawyer. (laughs)
4: That's (laughs) (laughs) that's right. It's I'm a lawyer. Everybody else is non-lawyer. And when you think about collaborating with people with that mindset, you've already kind of screwed yourself up there. You've
3: shut it down before it's even started.
4: You're not thinking, I'm a lawyer, I'm gonna collaborate with a data scientist or somebody that is a very good project manager or you know, I mean, tons and tons and tons of different people that you could collaborate with to solve these these people's problems, these these issues. Yes. I, I think it is essentially common knowledge now that most people that have what we as lawyers consider to be a legal problem have no idea they have a legal problem.
3: Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's really a fundamental challenge that we face. I think we as a profession have evolved in such an insular way Mm -hmm. that we frankly do a terrible job of communicating clearly to the public we serve exactly how we can help them. Periodically, I have to look for some kind of lawyer. Usually it's like a family member or a friend who's trying to find help and it's I don't happen to have somebody in my network who does that kind of thing. So I'll just jump on Google. Mm -hmm. It's a nightmare. I even kind of know what I'm looking for and (laughs) it's impossible to find and vet and really make any sense. And I'm someone with legal training, right. Mm -hmm. To get to the kind of help that is most likely to be productive for the specific situation. So, yeah, I keep meaning to have that actually be an exercise that we do in one of my classes. I might have to do that in law as a business next semester. Absolutely. It's just, <laughs> it's, um, it's just very frustrating.
4: It is. But I, I think that makes me think of this idea of being a holistic practice. When we do collaborate with somebody who is outside or slightly outside of our expertise, maybe we're getting closer to what a client is actually going to call their problem. Absolutely. You know, if, if we're a family lawyer, maybe we collaborate with somebody that does family counseling and this person is, I know technically we can't necessarily have them in our office, but we can create, you know, some complex business structures that will allow them to be part of our circle at the very least. Yes. And this person is now helping us help our clients or just quite frankly, helping people and then connecting people to us in order for us to provide a solution to their problem.
0: I
3: agree completely. And that's a great example of a point I make often. There's constant conversation about what is that array of competencies that lawyers need to practice. And I maintain again that that array of competencies depends entirely on the kind of work you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I will say that no matter what kind of work you're doing, there is expertise you need to rely on to help clients that also is not expertise you should go have. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I fall in the camp of lawyers do not need to learn how to code. Now that doesn't mean if you're interested in it and that's something you'd like to do. By all means. I don't want to foreclose that option for you. Go forth and learn how to code. Go learn Python, become a data scientist for that matter,
4: mm-hmm. if
3: that's what you like to do. However, I don't think even in the most sophisticated practices, that is required. What is required, however, is recognizing this is the kind of expertise this situation demands. And therefore I need to collaborate with someone Mm
4: -hmm. who brings
3: this expertise. Also, depending on your practice, you may have to have some fundamental understanding and knowledge yourself so that you're able to effectively communicate, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And collaborate with said expert, for instance, in data science, but a family law lawyer as well, that person does not need to become a mental health professional mm-hmm. and that person also can better serve clients if they're able to collaborate with someone who can provide that service to clients and who also can help the lawyer understand the dynamics that are involved, right? You get, you get a certain understanding that comes with rich collaborations like that, that simply make you better at doing your job and empower you to better serve your clients. And I will say too, this is an example of letting go of that mindset that lawyers have to know everything and do everything that, you know, kind of goes back to my earlier point. Lawyers don't need to code just because a skill pops up as something that could be relevant to legal practice. Again, the important thing is understanding that that exists And understanding, is this something I need to do? Or is this something that I need to collaborate with someone else who does it? Right? Mm -hmm. So, again, depending on your practice area, you might need some fundamental marketing skills, especially if you're a solo practitioner. Mm -hmm. And, ideally, you have some, but you collaborate with a marketing expert, (laughs)
4: right? Right.
3: (laughs) Because your work is actually practicing law. So, I think it, it translates in all kinds of opportunities we have to meaningfully and radically collaborate with people who can empower us to do our work really well and serve clients more holistically.
4: Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's uh, that's a good place to end, <laughs> to, to, to <laughs> encouraging people to, you know, lawyers to go out and, and collaborate with the appropriate people because we are inherently in at least 49 states, always the owner of the business, which means that we are the ultimate manager. You have to act like a manager in that scenario and you have to, you can't do everything. You have to bring people in to, to help you do it. Absolutely. Well, Kat, as, as always, thank you for, for being with us. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: It was fun. Thank you for having me. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice, wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community lab to schedule a 15 minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.